You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 591 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. The NBA draft is now complete. A very interesting night for the Atlanta Hawks and a very good night, I think, for the Atlanta Hawks as they were able to add three quality pieces to the roster. A lot of machinations to touch on, including a couple of trades that cannot be official for a while. But we kind of know what's going to be happening here with the Hawks. And basically, they have acquired, at the end of this draft, Virginia forward DeAndre Hunter, Duke forward Cam Reddish, and Maryland center Bruno Fernando. A very nice haul, all things considered, for the Hawks. And we will go through all of the machinations and the trades and the picks on this podcast. So thanks for joining us, as always. If you're you're a new listener to this podcast, I really appreciate it, by the way, for uh, joining us and all that fun stuff. Please subscribe to this podcast via the podcast platform of your choice. And we are always here talking about the Hawks. So here we go to do just that. First things first, the headline item of the night was the big trade and the subsequent pick of DeAndre Hunter. So we will start there. Um, The Hawks ended up trading the number eight, number 17, and number 35 picks along with the 2020 Cleveland Cavaliers first round pick um, that's actually protected um, to the New Orleans Pelicans in exchange for for the number four pick, the number 57 pick, Solomon Hill, and a future second rounder from New Orleans. So a lot of machinations there. I will say um, the Cleveland pick, first and foremost, as part of that, is probably not going to be a first-round pick. That's the one that's top 10 protected next year. Cleveland projects to be pretty bad once again. And after that, it becomes two second-rounders. So if you, if you would rather view this as um, 8, 17, and three second-rounders, it's probably more accurate to say 35 and a pair of second-rounders from Cleveland. However you want to look at that, that is the uh, end of the trade here. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, let's focus on Hunter, though, for now. You know, I talked about Hunter quite a bit in this space over the last several months. I've been very high on Hunter for a long, long time. I was high on him on, la- on last year's draft before he actually did not declare for the draft. I thought he was going to be a top 15 pick in last year's draft. And throughout this year, I've talked about him as someone who I really like on, on this podcast. Um, with that said, Hunter is not a traditional top five pick in really any way in that he's not. He's, this is not going to be a star-level pick, I don't think. Hunter, is that's not the guy you draft to be a full-blown superstar and in this class that's not really going to be a problem because there wasn't a ton of upside to be had with that pick and with any pick in the top uh, you know I guess after two or three depending on how you feel about RJ Barrett it was kind of a uh, role player driven draft Um, the one quibble that I would have minorly is that I had Jarrett Culver just a little bit ahead of Hunter on my board, but those guys were four and five, and I had Hunter at number five overall. I've been higher on him than most have been throughout this process, so uh, no no qualms in my opinion with drafting with drafting DeAndre Hunter. He's a very very good prospect and one that fits very well with the Hawks. Just as a refresher, real quickly about DeAndre Hunter, he's six eight with a seven two wingspan. He's an excellent on ball defender, one of the best in the class, if not the best in the class, at doing just that. Um, not not as great off the ball, but did play uh, kind, of, kind of in a weird system at, at Virginia, and I think defensively he is someone you don't have to worry about. I'm not sure he's going to be Kawhi Leonard or like a, this massive game changer, but he's going to be a good defensive player, um, and that's uh, you know, at the very least he was someone who was regularly unleashed as a great on ball stopper kind of guy. 
in college, and that profiles as something that he can do in the NBA level. Um, offensively, it's a sort of a mixed bag in some ways. He's a very solid offensive player. He's a good shooter. 42% from three over two seasons in college. That is a pretty darn good number. I'm not sure it's realistic necessarily to project him to shoot that well in the NBA, but he's going to be a good shooter. I'm pretty confident in that. Um, a strong guy on, on catch-and-shoot jumpers, and I think that's something that you can certainly pencil in with him and that will fit well with what the Hawks want to do with Trey Young creating off the dribble. The flip side, two Hunter's offenses that there's not a huge, a huge ceiling there in my opinion. He's an advantage scorer that takes advantage of matchups, and that's that's a good thing to have around as a as a second tier option um, on your team. I probably won't ever be a, like a top two option offensively on a, on a good team necessarily, but a good free throw shooter. He has a mid range game as well. Can be a three tier scorer. Again, not going to be a twenty point scorer, I don't think, but someone who has very good value on both ends of the floor, and that's what you're getting here for the Hawks to go along with quality size. You know, coming into the draft, I said this a lot in the last couple. Of weeks since they traded Torian Prince away, but the Hawks do not have a single player coming into the draft that was a uh, legitimate, you know, small forward to combo forward size player, and now they have two of them back-to-back with Hunter and Reddish. So it fills a need. He's a very good prospect. Again, a top five guy in this class for me, and uh, Hunter is a guy who they can certainly grow with for the future. We'll come back to him at, at times, I'm sure, in this evaluation. But um, as for the trade itself, the timing is going to be pretty odd here on the trade. It can't be consummated until at least July 6th officially, so the Hawks couldn't talk about it in uh, clear terms. At least Travis Slink could not talk about it in clear terms uh, on this fine evening, and uh, that's because Parts of this deal come from New Orleans that were part of the Anthony Davis trade with the Lakers. That deal cannot happen either until the sixth, so that deal has to go through first. Then the Hawks deal can be completed. So that ha- you know that's kind of the, the schedule here. As a result of that, could be some weirdness there with with DeAndre Hunter at summer league. The Hawks could play as early as Jul- as July fifth. That's the first day of summer league, and if that's the case, he probably won't be able to play in that first game or two. And that's something that doesn't really necessarily matter long term. But Hawks fans will want to see him, of course. And if that comes to fruition that way, as we sort of project it right now, he might have a late arrival to Las Vegas. With that said, though, no, no real huge deal and impact to be had there. The Hawks did lose some cap space with this trade, which is worth pointing out, taking on Solomon Hill's contract. Hill is owed about $12.7 million, and he is certainly not worth that contract. So one of those things that you have to keep in mind here is that the Hawks paid a hefty price in terms of of draft picks with the two first rounders, 8 and 17, to go along with probably three second rounders, and they took on Solomon Hill's contract. Now, Solomon Hill is someone who can play a little bit if they want him to. Uh, you know, positionally, he's probably not going to have a ton of value on this team this year with both Hunter and Reddish. Um, and I think he's probably more of a uh, more of a four anyway with John Collins and Marty Spellman. There's not, not a huge amount of playing time allotted here for Solomon Hill, and he's largely dead money. So that, that has to be part of the calculus here. That's you know the Hawks have been famous to take for in taking on bad salary in exchange for draft picks. In this instance, they took on bad salary to make this kind of deal work because Solomon Hill is bad money. That's something that has to be kept in mind here as uh, just a small factor in the trade. Um, So with that said, the Hawks now have a pretty small amount of cap space available, only about $14 million in cap space if they, and that's if they were to renounce Dwayne Dedman, which they probably will do, I'd imagine at this point in time, because they now have Bruno Fernando and Alex Lynn as well. We'll talk about that more in a second, but at a maximum, even if they were to renounce all the free agents, which includes Dedman and Justin Anderson, Vince Carter, et cetera, they only have about $14 million in cap space, which is not a small number, but it's not a huge number anymore in the way the Hawks had just a few weeks ago after taking on Alan Crabb and now Solomon Hill as um, not fully dead money, but pretty bad money in both cases. 
Also, as I said before, the Cleveland pick should be treated as two second rounders in my opinion. So, you know, all things considered here, if you weave this in along with the Torian Prince trade, it can be a, sort of a hit and miss thing in terms of value. I think, you know, I, I said this all along that, you know, eight and 10 was going to be too much to move up to four. The Hawks avoided doing that, which is uh, a positive in my opinion. I do think Hunter is better than the guys that were going to be available at number eight overall. I think Hunter, uh, you know, significantly significantly better than those guys. Uh, you know, it's, so that's that's kind of worth keeping in mind here. And if you are a fan of going out and getting your guys, you know, this is certainly something that, that Travis Schlenk did in this draft. Uh, is it an overpay? Probably just because of the fact that Hunter is not going to be a game-changing offensive player. But within the confidence of what the Hawks actually had and all of their extra assets that, that they've been carrying along here, I'm totally okay with going up and getting your guy if you believe in him. And I'm someone who believes in Hunter. I, I'm not sure he's going to, again, be an all-star, but he's someone who I, I really do value. And I think he's going to be a great role player for this team. He checks a lot of boxes. He's a defense-first player, which really fits well with this core. In fact, both Hunter and Reddish are both quality defenders. For the first time in Schlenk's tenure, they've, they've drafted two guys. Two guys that are actually you know projected two-way players obviously there are some players on this roster right now that can play defense in the future whether it be Collins or Herder even Spellman potentially but you're, you're drafting two guys in Hunter and Reddish that are now I guess pretty equipped to play defense from day one and that is particularly helpful with the rest of the roster so we'll come back to the Hunter to the Hunter trade at the end of this thing but in short, the Hawks add um, a real a real asset in DeAndre Hunter. He's a really, really good player, a really good prospect, and one that's going to be a good fixture in Atlanta for a while here. We'll come back to that, um, but after this short break, we will talk more about Bruno Fernando and Cam Reddish and everything else that transpired on Thursday night. So please stay tuned for that. Hold on one second, and here's our word from our sponsor. All right, and we're back here. We're, we're going to talk to about Cam Reddish in a moment. But before we get to Cam Reddish, I want to talk about Bruno Fernando, which was kind of the curveball in some ways. You know, all was quiet for about, I don't know, 20 picks or so, maybe even more than that, between the Hawks kind of having all the fireworks in the top 10 with the Hunter trade, then uh, Reddish falling in their lap at number 10. And then the Hawks suddenly sprung, I guess, sprang into action with um, a trade with Philadelphia that sends two future seconds and the number 57 pick in this draft, which was just recently acquired, of course, by New Orleans in exchange, uh, sorry, from New Orleans in exchange for the number 34 pick to take Bruno Fernando. Um, because the 57th pick was involved here, Fernando might have the same issue and probably does have the same issue as DeAndre Hunter in terms of when he can actually suit up for the Hawks. Probably going to be July 6th because the 57th pick actually comes from New Orleans and that trade can't be consummated. Blah, 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 blah. So all that say, Travis Slank could not talk about the Bruno Fernando uh, acquisition either. So it was basically all Cam Reddish. We'll talk about that later as well. It was kind of funny and the dynamics are really weird in play there. But in terms of the player himself, Fernando has been a long favorite of Hawks fans that I've heard from from a long time. Some of which even thought that he should be a like a mid-first round pick or higher. I was never that high on Fernando, but... I did value him as a late first, early second kind of kind of player. This is an appropriate draft slot for him, a good value in my opinion for Bruno Fernando. You know, the second rounders is a, is a real price to pay, but still not a bad deal in any way, shape, or form here for Fernando. And because the Hawks didn't take a center in the top ten, they had that. You know, it's not a huge glaring knee, but they do have to get a center somewhere along the way to pair with Alex Len. And Fernando is a fellow Maryland alum, by the way. So now the Hawks have three Maryland guys in uh, Fernando. Um, 
Kevin Herter and Alex Lynn. It's a pretty interesting subplot to go along with that. Hawks fans do love him, though. There's some two-way appeal in Fernando. He's a long-term option. He's sort of chiseled out of granite physically. He has a 7-4 wingspan, great measurables, a great athlete, uh, you know, testing-wise. So there's some pick-and-roll stuff there. There's some short roll ability for him, a pretty good passer for his size. He was really productive, and he's a great rebounder. That's something that has to be said about Fernando. That's probably his best skill just right now is his rebounding. He's an awesome rebounder. He was efficient in college. Not not a great you know shooter at this point in time, but the Hawks have been successful in uh, helping guys to un- unearth some jump shots, whether it be Dwayne Dedman or Alex Lynn at, at the center spot. So that could be happening. I don't see overwhelming upside with Fernando, but still he's a potential guy who could be a, a strong two-way force in the future. And honestly, you, the measurables and the whole package is something that you would have to be excited about at, at, 50, at number 34 overall, I should say. Not a great defender in terms of awareness at the moment, but I think he's someone who can grow in that area. He's very young. And uh, listen, Fernando is a quality value. I, I prefer him to someone like Daniel Gafford, who was always in that range. You know, Nasri went undrafted. Uh, you know, Bol Bol went, went later than that. There was lots of interesting stuff in the second round, but I thought the value on Fernando was particularly pretty solid in this draft, and I think he is someone who checks a lot of boxes for the Hawks. Obviously, he's going to be the, the number three out of three when it, when it comes to discussions of this of this class. But for instance, I think Fernando's actually a better prospect than Amari Spellman um, at the same time that they entered the league. So Spellman was the 30th pick last year. I had Fernando rated higher this year than I had Spellman last year pretty significantly. You know, that's something to keep in mind for the future. But now the Hawks have an interesting stable of young big men. They have Alex Lynn with a contract for one more season. They have John Collins, of course, is the, is the headliner of this whole thing. And then you have Bruno Fernando and Amari Spellman. And I also think that Hunter is going to be playing some four along the way. So there's lots of uh, moving parts in the front court, but a lot of, you know, some, some intriguing fits. And Fernando is a quality prospect. No one that you want to like burn the burn, burn things to the ground for, but I, I do like Bruno Fernando as a player. I know Hawks fans were pretty excited with that addition. The last thing in terms of just player acquisitions here was, of course, Cam Reddish. Uh, at number 10, they sort of fell in their lap. There was a, a weird stray report early in the day on Thursday about Reddish and some medical stuff. Apparently, uh, there was some flag somewhere, at least according to the reporting, but I never heard as to what that was. And, you know, Travis Schlink was asked after the uh, selection about Cam's injury, and he did not seem to be worried in any, any way, shape, or form about, about Reddish's injury stuff. He had a core muscle issue, issue that's going to keep him out of summer league. Both Schlenk said that, and that was also reported in late May that he was probably going to be missing summer league. I'm going to read the quote to you right now. I don't think he'll be ready for summer league is what Schlenk said, end quote. We're going to go from there. He says it, 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 he was told it was a six- to eight-week process, and they're, they're about four weeks into that, so he's probably not going not to get on the court until the end of July. But they'll start his rehab. I guess they'll continue his rehab when he when he arrives. He was upbeat about that, so no long term stuff and no concerns in the way that Schlenk was talking about um, Reddish's injury status, which is definitely something that you want to point out. You know, for me, I had Reddish number eight on my overall board, and honestly, when considering the fact that the Hawks pretty much couldn't take three of my top eight guys in John Morant, Darius Garland, Kobe White, that kind of speaks to. Uh, Getting that kind of guy at, at number 10 overall when he was really like number six on my Hawks board, number five on my Hawks board, somewhere in there. Getting him at, num- at number 10 overall is a pretty big win, in my opinion. I'm not like over the moon about Reddish. There are some Hawks fans that were saying, you know, he has to be the guy they go get, and they had him, they had him top three or four in the draft. I am not quite that high, but he's certainly someone at number 10 that's sort of a no brainer for me. I was saying that during the draft. You know, at number eight, if the Hawks had stayed put with the, with the top seven the way they were, I would have taken Reddish at number eight, and then it ended up being Jackson Hayes. At number eight, um, off the board after all after all the trades were made, and uh, Reddish fell in their lap. At number ten, that was a pretty good outcome in my opinion. So with all all that said, you know Reddish is an interesting player. I kind of like his floor 
almost more than his ceiling in some ways. You know, he's been billed as this like high ceiling, risky prospect. I liked Reddish's floor quite a bit, actually. He's 6'8 with a 7'1 wingspan. He played quality defense last year at, at Duke. Uh, you know, his performance on the offensive end of the floor left a lot to be desired, but defensively, he actually showed some real flashes. He's not a nuclear athlete, but he's very fluid and coordinated and very long. So his acumen on that end of the floor is really helpful. That provides some stability. I think his shooting is going to play up. I'm not going to sure. I'm not sure he's going to be an elite shooter based on the numbers that he had in college. But the real issue for him, more than anything else, was his decision making and his two point shooting. He shot 39% from two. That's really really bad. Obviously, his finishing was a question. I actually asked Travis Schlenk about the finishing question mark, and I'm going to read the response that Schlenk gave to me right now. He said, and I'm quoting here from Travis Schlenk, he did struggle a little bit with that, but he's got a great skill set and ability to finish with both hands. I think you know. There was a lot of traffic in the lane at Duke this year. Besides Cam, there weren't a lot of shooters on the team. So getting used to that, we feel like when he gets up here and we have more space on the floor because we're going to have more shooters out there and with practice and getting stronger, being able to finish through contact, we're not concerned with that at all. So, you know, it's uh, interesting to put to point that out. I, I, I do think I've long said that, you know, Reddish is someone who profiles as someone who's going to be better in the NBA than he was in college because of spacing, because of his fluidity. He'll have, he'll have more experience under his belt. He's a really talented guy who just needs space to operate and probably is going to be better in a secondary role. With that said, you know, Reddish is a, he's definitely a talent play. The upside is um, is still there in some ways. I think it's a little bit lower than some, than some do. I'm not sure he's ever going to have that on-ball creation element that some people envision, like the comparisons that are out there. It's like Paul George and Tracy McGrady were very aggressive. He isn't that kind of athlete, but I do think that Reddish is a quality prospect, someone who I definitely was advocating for openly at number 10. So I think that's uh, a good value in many ways here. Again, he's going to miss time with the core muscle injury, but you know it's not a huge deal. Kevin Herter, you might, you might remember, missed uh, summer league last year and was just fine, obviously, this season. I think uh, Reddish is a better prospect entering um, entering the NBA than Herter was. So it's just one of those things where uh, they got Hawks got good value. They, they sort of fell back into it. Travis Schlenk was kind of uh, funny in pointing out that they weren't sure they were going to get Reddish until the ninth pick actually went. But they were pretty darn happy about the way that that transpired based on the reactions that were out there. They referenced uh, Reddish as a dribble, pass, and shoot guy. Uh, that's something that Schlenk always loves, the good defense, et cetera, et cetera. But they were very pleased with him falling in their lap at number, at number 10 overall. And when paired with Hunter at number four, that actually works out very, very well for Atlanta because of the fact that if you if you viewed, as I did, Reddish, a reasonable guy in the 7-8 range, 6-7-8 range for the Hawks, getting him at number 10 helps the value a little bit. If you had to overpay, which I think you probably did a little bit for Hunter, getting a little bit more value on, on the back end very much helps. There was this question that I was getting throughout the draft as well that I wanted to point out about both guys being small forwards, basically, with some power forward elements for DeAndre Hunter. I am uh, firmly on the bandwagon of, of the teams not being able to have too many wings. I always say, quote, you cannot have too many wings, end quote. And I stand by that here. It isn't like the Hawks have an overwhelming number of wings now. They do have some smaller guys, of course. You have Kevin Herter is the one like core piece on the wing. You have Baysmore. You have Bembry. You have, um, you know, there's other pieces that are around. With that said, I mean, you have Alan Crabb, of course. Um, but there's not anybody that's, you know, long-term pencil limit at small four other than, the, other than these two guys. And because, you know, you can play them both together, in my opinion. I think you can play Hunter at the four or some, um, and you just can't have too many guys at that size who can play on both ends of the floor. That's just the way the NBA is going, and with more small ball out there, I am 
wildly intrigued to see a lineup out there with John Collins at center, DeAndre Hunter at the four, and Cam Reddish at the three. This is the first time in Collins' tenure where they actually have a small ball, a, a legitimate small ball four option to play with him uh, on both ends of the floor with, with Hunter. Uh, other than Vince Carter last year, they didn't really have that. Um, so it's very nice to see that sort of as a theoretical, not not full time by any means, but something that you can look at in small doses, and that'll be a lot of fun to monitor. We'll talk about that, of course, much more in the future, but. The Reddish pick is a very good value. The Fernando pick is a very good value. And the Hunter pick, you know, he's just a very good player. So that really helps in a lot of ways. Quickly here before we get to the last thing that I want to touch on, there was a couple, there was more clarity in yesterday's stuff. This is very secondary now to the other stuff. Again, very secondary to the other stuff, but I wanted to at least mention it. There was a there was further reporting on the Hawks trade that they made with the Heat before the draft to trade the number 44 pick. That's basically going to be a straight pick sale. The Hawks are going to get the Hawks are going to get $1.88 million in that trade. That's not a great look, which I said which I talked about on yesterday's podcast. If you missed that one, go back and listen to it. I am definitely anti-selling picks. It isn't a huge deal. It doesn't like change the change the path of the Hawks rebuild or anything like that. I think in a, in a vacuum, though, selling picks is bad, and uh, I would not advocate for it. With that said, they, they, they made another trade on, on Thursday morning, trade number 41 in this class to Golden State. And they got a legitimate 2024 pick that's unprotected. I was the first person that reported that. Um, every once in a while, I break some news, and that was one that I actually got my hands on. But a 2024 unprotected pick, second rounder, I should say, from the Warriors in exchange for the pick that was 41 this year, as well as some money changing hands there. Um, that this is the kind of move that always made sense for the Hawks. Uh, you know, I guess in retrospect, the Hawks getting, getting back in to the second round, um, I guess turned some turned some heads on this. But you know, I, I don't think Bernard, that Fernando was going to get to 41 anyway, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. And you know, trading in the future is not a bad thing at all. There's upside with that pick in the future, and the Hawks collect the, the maximum the max allotted uh, cash in this draft. No basketball impact there, but it's something that ownership certainly likes to see, I'm sure. And that was a just fine trade for where the Hawks are. At the end of the day, the Hawks entered this uh, draft process with five picks. They went to six picks after the Torian Prince trade, and then they finished with three players. That's totally fine. They consolidated. They don't have a ton of roster spots. They do have some roster spots, but you know, in the future, there, are, there aren't that many to fill. Um, basically, the one, the one glaring team need right now in my opinion, is backup point guard. In addition to Jalen Adams, I think there's probably one more that, they, that they're going to need to get there at some point in time, but um, we'll have much more on that in the future, but nothing uh, glaring there and uh, you know, consolidating made, made a lot of sense throughout the process, and Schlenk said once again on Thursday night that they did not want to take five rookies, so all that to say, they did a pretty good job with what they did here overall. Uh, last thing, just as a sort of wrap-up here, the 100, the 100 deal was probably an overpay, but it's probably mitigated in a considerable way by getting, quote, your guy, end quote, and I think uh, he fits as well um, as Hunter probably could fit. He was He's an awesome fit with what the Hawks want to do on both ends of the floor, and that's a very, very nice thing. Um, I think getting two of the top eight players on my board is a very good thing with the way the Hawks were picking. I had Hunter at five and Reddish at eight. And again, if you remove the if you if you remove the point guards from the equation, I would have had Hunter at four and Reddish at six um, or five. So it's interesting. It's not a situation where the, you could just do that in a vacuum. But for the Hawks specifically, they did a very good job at getting guys that they wanted in this class. Fernando, same thing. A good value pick as a late first round projected guy that ended up going number thirty four. That's good value as well. I'm intrigued by the by the five man core of Young, Herder, Reddish, Hunter, and Collins. I do think that you know supporting pieces like Fernando, like Spellman, are uh, interesting as well. But for me, the the core at this moment is those is those five guys. It's Young, it's Herder, it's Reddish, it's Hunter, and it's Collins, and those guys all fit pretty darn well together. And I'm looking forward to covering those guys in the future. They're, they're malleable, interesting lineup stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So. 
they're obviously going to need more to be a championship contender in the future, but this is a nice nucleus in the makings of a very, very fun basketball team, which is a good place to be. And uh, we can go deep and in, deeper into, you know, pure value stuff on the trades, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the, the more important thing tonight um, at this very late hour into the 1.30, 2 o'clock range is the fact that the Hawks did well in this class. Um, you can nitpick it a little bit if you want to, but you know, for me, the overarching theme is that the Hawks got three quality basketball players, two of which were legitimate top seven or eight guys in this class, and that's a really good outcome for a draft. So I'm going to leave it there for now. We will have plenty more coverage. I will say there's a bunch of written content coming or that's already up at peachtreehoops.com by the time you're listening to this with full coverage written in the written content. Also, we had full draft breakdowns before the draft um, on all three of these guys. If you, want to, if you want to read more about Fernando and Hunter and Reddish, we'll have you know newly written stuff as well as uh, previous draft profiles, and we'll have plenty more coverage as summerly approaches as well. So please stay tuned for that. Also, subscribe to this podcast. It'd be huge. We're not going anywhere. We did a ton of pre-draft stuff, but I plan to have a guest or two on to break down the draft itself. And by the way, we are 10 days as of, as of this recording from free agency and then, you know, about two weeks or so from summer league. So plenty of content in the future. I, I know that August will arrive quickly enough and that's kind of a dead zone, but you know, the rest of June and all of July basically is going to be jam packed with stuff to monitor. So please subscribe to this podcast on uh, Apple podcasts or Himalaya or Google podcasts, Spotify, all those places. Pick your favorite, pick your two favorite, pick your three favorite, tell a friend, rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. I really appreciate it. So, you know, at the end of the day, a really nice night for the Hawks, a really positive night for the Hawks, and uh, lots of good stuff coming forward. So please stay tuned, subscribe, tell your friends, and we'll see everybody tomorrow.